Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Leading Agile Sound Notes. This week in the podcast, I'm just going to be focusing on sprint planning. So this is a more foundational topic. All I'm going to talk about this week is sprint planning, what it is, how it works, why it works, why it's so important, things to watch out for because you might be doing it wrong or using this event in a way other than it was intended to be used, and just some things you can do to make sure that your scrum team is better set up for success during the course of the sprint. The sprint planning meeting is held at the very beginning of the sprint. It's the first event that takes place in the sprint. And the reason that we have this meeting is for the scrum team to figure out what they're going to do during the sprint and how they're going to do it. So in the meeting, we definitely want to have the whole scrum team. So that's the product owner, the scrum master, and the development team. But they can also bring in other people if they need to. So if they need to bring in an architect or a database expert or a lumberjack or a ninja or a bartender or a circus clown, whoever they need in the room to make these decisions, those are the people they should have in the room. And what they're trying to do is to figure out what they're going to get done and how they're going to do it. And they want to make sure that they are basically filling the bucket of their capacity without overfilling it. So we don't want to under or over plan. We want to figure out how much we can do and plan to do that much. For this meeting to work, the product owner has to show up prepared. So they're going to come in with a prioritized or ordered product backlog, and they should have a general idea of what they want to ask the team to work on in that sprint. And those items, which should be at the top of the product backlog, have to be in a ready or an actionable state. So it's very likely that the team has seen all of this stuff before in a previous sprint during product backlog refinement, but this is the first time they're being asked to commit to doing this work in the sprint. So what happens during the first part of sprint planning is the product owner comes in with the development team, they sit down, and they talk through these items one by one. Now, in order for the product owner to figure out what they can ask for, it's really helpful if they know the team's historical velocity. So if I know that, you know, over the last 20 or so sprints, my team has maintained an average velocity of 25 story points a sprint, if I'm the product owner, I'm going to ask for about that much work when I come in. So I'll have ordered my product backlog so that the 25 most important or most valuable points are kind of up at the top. And when I come into sprint planning, I'm going to say to the team, look, here's the stuff I'd like to talk to you about. Um, you've seen it all before, but we're going to go through it again. And in the first part of sprint planning, the product owner and the development team are going to talk through these items one by one. So even though they've probably already discussed them previously, they're going to go through them again. They're going to make sure they're all clear on the scope. They're going to make sure that the acceptance criteria is clearly defined and testable. They're going to make sure that they're on the same page in, in every way that they can think of about what this particular product backlog item is. And when I'm acting as a scrum master during this conversation, I'm usually there trying to play devil's advocate, um, trying to encourage the team members to speak up and ask questions, to remind the product owner that you have to respect you know, the team when they estimate the work and say how big this thing is, and just keep things moving along. So what we're trying to get to in the first part of sprint planning is this understanding of what we as a scrum team are gonna try to do during the sprint. So the first part is led by the product owner, and the team and the PO are talking about all this stuff. We're getting to a point where we have an understanding of what the items we think we're going to work on are. And when, when the development team reaches a point where they think they have enough work to keep them busy for the sprint, they'll say, okay, we need to stop now. This is enough work. Now, this could be based on historical velocity. Um, if you don't know the team's velocity, it could be just the team saying, we think this is enough. Um, there's lots of different ways to figure out the end of the first part, but the main thing is that it's the development team's call. They say this is enough, then it's enough. Now, um, 
The PO can challenge that and push a little bit, but it's the development team's responsibility to push back and say, look, you're asking for more than we think we can do. So at the end of the first part of the meeting, we, we're not committing to anything, but we have kind of a candidate, right? We have a group of things we think we're going to try to get done during the sprint. In the second part of the meeting, that's going to be led by the development team. So the product owner doesn't have a particularly active role in this part of the meeting. I will typically ask them to kind of hang out in the corner. I mean, they can just sit there and do email. I think that's fine. But I'd really like to have them in the room because there might be a point that the team needs clarification on or they might need to negotiate some scope or the PO might simply hear the team talking and say, hey, wait, you guys totally misunderstood that thing. Let's, let's go over that again. But in the second half of the meeting, the team is going to figure out how they're going to get the work done. So the first part was what are we going to do? The second part is how are we going to do it? And there's a lot of different ways you can do the second part. Uh, I'll talk about three different three different versions here in this podcast. So a really high-performing version. I've got a friend who works with a team that has been together for a really long time. And um, when they're in sprint planning, they get to the end of the first part of the meeting. They have these candidates for what they think they're going to do. And at the end of that first part of the meeting, they just commit right there. They say to their product owner, we forecast that all these things will be potentially releasable by the end of the sprint. We're going to put these product backlog items into our sprint backlog, and we're ready to go. Um, this is a team that has been together for a very long time. They have a lot of expertise. They trust each other. They know each other's capabilities, and they are able to consistently deliver by working that way. Um, this is something that I hear stories about. It's not something that I've worked with, but I think for anybody who's got that, that must be a wonderful experience to go through. Um, I think a more common way of doing it, one of the things that I've done with a lot of teams is in the second part of the meeting, the development team members will take each product backlog item and they'll create a list of tasks that are required to deliver each product backlog item. So if you're a traditional project manager, um, I would say that this is the only thing that maps between Scrum and the PMBOK because what you're doing here is basically work breakdown structure. So we want to deliver this PBI. Um, what are the different activities that we have to be able to work through in order to deliver that thing? So the team members will create this basic, basically a task list for each product backlog item. Now, after they create the task list, they're going to have to go through and estimate how much time they want to carve out for each product backlog item. So this is us. I always think of this as like we're taking a pie of capacity and we're cutting out a slice and setting it aside for a particular task. Now, let's say that I'm on a team and there's a task that um, the, the Jim on my team. Jim did, does this task all the time. It's going to take Jim an hour, right? Because Jim is expert at this. And I did this once last summer when Jim was on vacation, and it took me about five hours. So because we're not going to assign any work to anyone during sprint planning, uh, we don't know if Jim's going to do this or if I'm going to do it. So we have to decide if we want to set aside one hour or five hours. And there's no real rule about this. It's just the team has to make a responsible choice. So after they've tasked out all the work, they'll estimate all the tasks in ideal hours. And, and an ideal hour is somebody who is at their desk, uninterrupted, doesn't go to the bathroom, doesn't check Facebook, doesn't check Twitter. They're just cranking it out. Like, how long would this take? Um, and again, Multiple people could end up doing it, so we just have to make a responsible choice. So we task all the, all the product backlog items out. We estimate all the tasks in ideal hours, and then we can total up the number of hours of work we think we're looking at. And as a development team, we can say, okay, does this seem like a reasonable amount of work? 
Um, and and that's this is how most teams that I've worked with do it in the past. There's always going to be lots of variations, but this is what I've seen kind of as the norm. Um, so there's two ways of checking against overcommitting here. The first is that we're trying to make sure we're not bringing in more story points than we've done before. Or if we are, we have, you know, we know why we're doing it consciously. And the second check against overcommitting would be, are we bringing in more hours of work that is reasonable? Um, so those are two really good patterns. Now, there's another thing that I teach in the CSM class. Um, I have a capacity calculator that I've used with a lot of teams for individual team members to figure out what their individual capacity is. And so for that, the idea is that, you know, your first check against overcommitting would be, is it too many story points? Your second check is, does this seem like more hours of work than we've done in the past or than we think we can do? And the third check would be, do we have enough capacity as a bunch of knowledge workers to actually deliver all this stuff during the course of the sprint? Um, and for teams that are struggling with delivering their work in a sprint, that capacity calculator has been very helpful to me. So what I'm going to do in the show notes is I will include a link to um, a page on, on my personal blog that's got instructions on how to use it, and you can download it and change it around however you want. Um, but that is something you might want to look into. Either way, getting an understanding of your team's capacity for work is important because capacity for work and the number of hours we're planning to do, they're not the same thing. A lot of people think that they are. They just get that twisted up in their head. Um, one is how much work do we have in front of us? The other is having the foresight and the knowledge to say, you know what? Nobody actually does eight hours of work in an eight-hour workday. Um, there's other stuff that gets in the way. So having awareness of that and planning accordingly is really important. One of the things that has to happen during sprint planning is the scrum team has to come up with a sprint goal. So if, you, if the scrum team looks at all the stuff they're planning on doing in the sprint, there should be some kind of overarching thing, some outcome they're trying to achieve. And this is a really important thing to define because if during the course of the sprint, they run into trouble and they realize, you know, hey, we're not gonna be able to get it all done. One of the things the sprint goal is gonna do is help them focus on what is the most important stuff. So it should create clarity around that for the team. Um, it's possible that they could get to the end of the sprint and actually meet the sprint goal without delivering on all the product backlog items that they promised to deliver during the sprint. So a sprint goal is one of the outputs. Another output is going to be the, the forecast that the team makes for what they're going to have in a potentially releasable state by the end of the sprint and the, the plan for how they're going to get that work done. And that's going to be demonstrated through their sprint backlog, their task board. They'll probably have a burn down chart, something like that. You may also have updates to the definition of done. So that's something you're probably going to want to revisit in every sprint planning meeting as well, just to make sure you're not missing anything or to identify stuff you might have kind of, you know, talked about during the retrospective and realize, hey, we need to make a shift here. We need to make an addition or a subtraction from the uh, definition of done. That is basically what you're looking for at the end of sprint planning is this commitment that the team can make to the product owner who will then share it with the stakeholders and say, I'll have this stuff ready for you by the end of the sprint. Now, a couple of things that I want to mention that are important to watch out for. Um, it's really important to not assign work during sprint planning meeting. A lot of people like to do that, but I want to explain why this is a big deal. Let's say you're a scrum master. Part of your job is to get your team into a high-performing learning state. 
And part of working this way is getting the team to a place where every single day in the daily scrum, they're getting together and answering the question, what can we do today to make as much progress towards delivering on our commitment for the sprint as possible? If during sprint planning you assign all the work, everybody on that team is going to go back to their desk with their individual laundry list of their things that they have to do. And the whole idea of planning as a we, that's not such a big deal anymore because I just need to get my stuff done. So it's a way of reinforcing this idea that we're all in this together. One of the things that's really important during sprint planning is that the team be reminded of the fact that at the end of the sprint, they're going to be in the sprint review. And in the sprint review, they're going to have to be accountable for the forecast or their commitment that they're making during sprint planning. So according to the rules of Scrum, the product owner can ask for whatever they want, but it's the development team's responsibility to say, this is what we can do. This is what we're capable of doing. And to push back against if there's too much pressure coming from the PO. It's the development team's responsibility to pull from the product backlog into the sprint backlog and to make a commitment or a forecast about what they will have in a potentially releasable state by the end of the sprint. Their responsibility is to not overcommit. And we really don't want them to undercommit either, but the main thing is we don't want to blow the sprint. If they do overplan into the sprint for whatever reason, maybe there's pressure from above, maybe they're afraid to say no, maybe they just don't understand their capacity. They're going to have to stand in front of the stakeholders in the sprint review, and they're going to have to explain why they were not able to deliver. So I think that's a really important thing to remind them of. I mean, I've been on teams where one team in particular, we failed a sprint. We had to stand in front of the stakeholders and say, we failed the sprint because there was a flood. There's an act of God that's perfectly fine. Like nobody's going to fuss about that. But if you don't have a good reason, if it's just bad planning, um, that is something, you know, you'd want to fix or at least be held accountable for, hold yourselves accountable for. So that's an important part of sprint planning. Um, we don't want the team to overcommit. We also don't want them to undercommit. So that's where checking that capacity can be a really important thing to help them understand how much kind of room they have to do work and not overplan or underplan what they can do. It is going to happen, especially if your team is running experiments. There's going to be sprints that they blow. Um, but figuring out why and trying to make sure we don't make those same mistakes again that's what this is all about because if you're if you're trying to get the team into a state where they are high performing and learning mistakes are part of it right we we're not going to grow without mistakes we have to be willing to run experiments so if you're afraid of running experiments you're definitely going to have some trouble there and there's one last thing i want to say about sprint planning so Every couple of years, the Scrum Alliance puts out a state of Scrum report. The last one that came out was 2017, 2018. And in that report, one of the, thing, one of the data points in the report is that 86% of the organizations that are doing Scrum say they hold sprint planning before the sprint begins. This is a big deal because it's gone, it had gone up from the previous report. Um, and I want to just clarify this point. So in Scrum, the sprint is the time box. Everything exists within the time box and there's nothing outside the time box. So the first thing that happens is we do sprint planning. It's the first event of every sprint. The last event of every sprint is the retrospective. So when one sprint ends, the next one begins. This is a big deal because if you're trying to do sprint planning before the sprint starts, what you may actually be doing is figuring out how to do work before you know if you're going to end up doing it or not. And if your priorities change or something happens and you come into the actual sprint planning meeting and you've already done all this work to task stuff out or figure it out before you get there, if you end up not doing it, then that was all time wasted. 
because that's time you could have been spending building things for the customer. So what we would like to do is to wait until the sprint begins and then do sprint planning. Right? We will have done product backlog refinement where we make sure that the product backlog items are in an actionable state. But the actual work of tasking everything out and figuring out our capacity, that's something we don't do until we walk into the sprint planning meeting. So those are just some quick tips on how sprint planning is supposed to work. You may be doing different variations of this, um, and that's totally fine. If it's working for you, that's wonderful. But if you needed sort of a refresher on it, I hope this helps. This is basically the stuff that I go over with the CSM students in the certified Scrum Master classes that I teach. So if they need a refresher, I hope this was helpful for you too. If you've got any questions or comments, just send them to dave.prior at leadingagile.com. And if you've got a topic you want covered, um, I'd love to hear that as well. So thanks a lot for listening and we'll catch you next time. Wow.